as uh, indicated, it's a psalm of David. And a couple of things before I read it. We don't know the exact occasion to this psalm. Some psalms we are benefited, we get a superscription that helps us to give us a context historically. We don't have it. There are things that we can find in the neighborhood of Psalm 26 which give us some sense of um, ownership of it. That is, there are some similarities. There, there are some thematic threads that you can find in 20, Psalm 25, 26, and 27. And some have even put it all the way up to like in Psalm, I think Psalm 37. There's, there's a focus on the sanctuary. But the point of this psalm is going to be this. You're going to see some words here that will, um, they're consistent with Psalm 25, like the word integrity. And you're going to, I'll go into this a little bit more later. So just to get you ready. Now, it is possible that this, this could be, I just suggest this. What you see in this psalm is that David is very much concerned about reputation. Now, there is, there's some debate among interpreters is that, is David primarily concerned about his reputation or is it God's reputation? I don't think those things have to be at odds. They're so bound up in David's experience, but he is definitely concerned about the issue of the reputation of God. And as David is identified with God, then as that in that identification, there is a powerful platform or a potentially a powerful platform for witness. And David is in this psalm, he, yeah, let me just show you something as I read it, and then you can, you'll, I hope this will make you appreciate it. There, there are a couple of bookends here. You know what I mean by that? The way it's called, the, the fancy word for it is an inclusio. Uh, it's an envelope. You look in the first verse, and you'll you'll see the statement um, where he says that uh, I've walked in, I have trust in the Lord without wavering. That's the way the New American Standard translates it. Does anyone have a translation a little different than that? Wavering. Ah, yeah. Okay. Is that the NIV? New King James. Okay, I'd say that's a good hit <clears throat> because. The word that's translated waver, uh, the Hebrew word ma'av, ma'av, it's used elsewhere. Like in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 22, 37, of describing, as David's writing there in, in 2 Samuel, it's the description of keep steady feet in combat. Let me tell you, David knew about hand-to-hand combat. Talk about a wild man. What you got? Thank you. That helps me. I appreciate it. Um, okay. I needed that for more one reason. And, okay, so David's using a word here about slipping. So you got to have steady feet. If you slip and fall and you're in hand-to-hand combat, you're in trouble. And so he uses this word that to, to, to slip that... Uh, without slipping. Now, in my Bible, I can just go almost right across, just horizontally, right across over to verse 11. And he says, well, actually verse 12, verse 12, my foot stands on a level place. 
So he's talking about having uh, stability, uh, continuity, continuity of life. He's talking about a moral continuity of life. That is, living consistently, there is integrity of life and there is trust in God. And that this is what pulls his, his life together. Right? Got that? So I'll come in on a couple other things. Let's get to reading and then I'll we'll get right into it. He says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without slipping. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind. Um, that uh, word uh, is the word uh, kina. It's the word kidneys. And he's saying my innermost parts, deep down inside. Using human physiology is the way to understand how we function emotionally, the various functions metaphysically, emotionally, and so on. For thy loving kindness is before my eyes. That's our old word. You know in the Psalms, chesed, of the covenant loyalty. And, but he says, your loving kindness is before my eyes. I have walked in thy truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. By the way, does verse 4 remind you of anything in the Psalms thus far? Anything? Yes, Psalm 1, sitting not in the seat of the scornful. There is that connection. Nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers. He's talking about the ungodly, the, the, those in opposition to covenant life within the theocratic nation within Israel. I will not sit with the wicked. And I, I shall wash my hands in innocence. Now, the, the language here is this the picture of the laver and the washing. The, the tabernacle comes into play here in some of this wording to follow in the next few verses. And I will go about thine altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving. Thank you. What you've done, Lord, what you've done, and I'm going to give, I'm going to vocalize it. I want other people to know it and declare all thy wonders, your mighty acts, the things that you've done. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of thy house and the place where thy glory dwells. That glory theme is a fascinating little sub-theme through the Psalms and even in Scripture where the glory of the Lord, it had, it had protected Israel and guided Israel in the past. You remember the pillar cloud, the, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night? And that it had brought comfort and stability to David and... It's portrayed in Scripture as actually bringing joy because it was a dramatic visual reminder of the presence of God in all his perfections, his beauty, his glory, his power, 
So therefore, he goes on to say, that do not take my soul away along with sinners. He's now anticipating judgment. He sees, anticipates himself as distinguished from, separated from those who have had a low view of God's covenant life. Nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes, Whoever he looks around are perverters of justice. Does anyone not uphold God's law? And so he says, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. And we go back to verse 1 here with this. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Now, the, the redeem part, remember, he's confessing his own inability. He needs help from the outside. He needs rescuing. I, I can't do without your help, old Lord. That's the idea. Redeem me. Be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. There's a play on words here. We don't get it in the English, but you see the word integrity. Bethumi, Bethumi, the Hebrew word. Then when he uses this word where it says this level place, uses the word Bemishor, Bemishor. There is a uh, assonance, a sound similarity between the words. There's a lot of this in, in the Hebrew. A lot of words, do, they do a lot of dancing. And uh, he uses them here once that there is a, there's a thematic connection here. Integrity, level ground. You can see it, can't you? We'll we'll see that word integrity a little bit. uh, I'll say more about it later. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. There's our old friend, uh, I will bless the Lord. All right, with that said. Let me pray for us. Lord, enable us to put things together. Lord, your word is just, it's weak. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to turn on the lights and to engage our minds, our motives even, Lord, and our aspirations, our thoughts, our the, the way we construct our values and so on. All that we need, Lord, we come to you Speak as you've spoken through David in this beautiful way. Now open our eyes to see the wonderful things here. I read this. This was in today's AJC, the opinion section. Always go to the opinion section. I like to get those opinions, see what the others are saying. And this is the balanced views section from the right and from the left. From the right, the one says, we Catholics aren't having your version of tolerance. Now, I don't share the, obviously, I don't share the the theological uh, template of Catholicism with the writer. However, she makes a very good point here. And the very first sentence is, who am I to judge? And she goes on to point out what's so common in our culture. You can't judge. That's judging. You can't judge. That's judgmentalism. Have you heard that one lately? 
And that's kind of the go-to put-down for any attempt to make some moral decision or moral response to something, whether it's good or bad. Well, she goes on to say, well, this is the, this is the mood of this, this is where the culture is. And then she went to describe a situation in her school. Her daughter attends a Catholic academy. It's in Philadelphia. And there was this uh, lesbian teacher in one of the classes married to another lesbian. And this parent goes to the lesbian teacher and wants her to be sure to teach this curriculum having to do with the concept of man and woman marriage. I mean, it was in the curriculum. And that to show the comp- it was complementarianism, how men, man and a woman, not just physiologically, but solically, and so on, how that they, God designed human beings, male and female. Well, the teacher refused to do it. So, okay, we get the teacher is going to be fired for this, is in a Catholic school. And so it goes on, and there's this big hubbub, and you know, and then you judge, you people, you judge, you judge, you need to shut up and quit judging. And so she follows through with that. All right, that just brought to mind what this psalm, in a way, is is dealing with. That as Christians, we are slandered. We're slandered, and we can be, we are, and can be slandered in a variety of ways. Let's go over the obvious, what's going on in our culture right now. If you do any, if you've got your antenna up, if you are aware that you, we're being charged with being, let me be your adversary for a minute. So don't take this personal. I mean, goodness, uh, Eric, he he whooped up on us this morning. So I've got, I've got a little bit of um, elbow room here, but I'm going to play, I'm going to be your adversary. So here, here I, here I go. I want to be adversary, if you'll allow me that. You're just judgmental. That's what you are. You judge. You know the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. And do you know what else? That you are, and there's no other way to, you can't get off this hook. You're discriminatory. You discriminate. And that's not right. And not only that, you are, you're a hater. You're guilty of hate speech because I think I just heard you say that you've got some serious problems about, you know, abortion, same-sex marriage, whatever else. And you are guilty of hate speech. You're a hater. And I'll tell you this, too. You're just a bigot. That's all you are. You're a bigot. And you need to, you need to face up to it, and you need to deal with it. Now, you say, well, nobody's talked to me like that. I mean... But I will tell you, if you get a composite of this, the, the slander, the charges, I'll just this one little sidebar. I've taught church history a number of times through the years. And I, you recall, Ed, you've been through church history. And in the first century, you remember those things that the church was accused of in the first century of the church? It's astounding when you see the parallels to what's come today, how church was looked upon and just being pariahs and dangerous and evil. And they ate babies and they drank blood and they... They, they were haters and they were atheists even. Uh, all right. So there it is. So we're slandered. Now, here, this psalm shows up here because David was slandered. 
Let's go back to our situations. We can be slandered. You know, it's painful and hard. Children can slander parents. That's a tough one to take. Children can come along and get bitter and angry at their parents and go out and spread things that aren't true. I know parents. I know some parents who got in trouble with the law over something that was not true, but the child accused them of abuse and called the police and told them, and they got defects. Oh, it was a mess, not in this state around here. And a friend may misjudge you. Been defriended lately? <laughs> the idea that you can push a button and be somebody's friend, but that's another, that's another story. Um, and marriages, marriages can be just so volatile and cruel. And spouses where they stood before maybe in a church and made vows and then they're accusing one another of the awfulest things, just spitting them out. So slander, slander. I don't know what David's situation was. It could have been like the second Samuel four that David had. There were plenty of situations in David's life. He had plenty of enemies. If you read the Psalms, just notice how many times he references enemies. And maybe it was that time when was it Ishbosheth was, uh, he was, uh, he was assassinated. This was, uh, Saul's son and couple of guys went in under the pretense, delivery, knock, knock, delivery man's here, UPS. And they go in and they just run a dagger in his gut and kill him. And then they cut his head off and run all night down to where David was in Hebron saying, show up at David's front door the next day. Here we are. Here's this Boshet's head. And David just crawls all over them. Let me tell you, you know, you, you remember what I did to that, that man who said he killed Saul? And then he told, he dispatched a couple of his young, uh, young men says, go take them and kill them. You cut their hands off, you cut their feet off, and you hang them up for everybody to see. You see, David faced some problems, not because what he did, but because there were those who were, actually that became a unifying moment because the, the people said, the Israel said, David's with us. David, Israel, and Judah came together. But I'm telling you, David had his anti-David party all the time working against him, accusing him, slandering him of being against Saul because they could have blamed that on David, see? The Scriptures set the record straight, but there were people who would not have taken that. All right, so what David is doing here is that he is... Pleading with God along these movements, these lines, and I see four of them here, and they're outlined for you, and I just put them there in a manner of questions. And the first of these, the question is, do you have anything to hide? Now, why does David go in that direction with anything to hide? Here's David's concern. Lord, I've got all these people who are throwing accusation against me. It's coming from left, right, coming from everywhere. Lord, I don't want to do anything to t- take away from your honor and your name. No. And Lord, your transcendent moral authority to which I, I, I'm your child and I want to represent you and be consistent in my life internally that I trust you and that there's integrity. I'm not a hypocrite. That I'm the, now he's not arguing for being sinless, but that whatever the charge was in this particular situation, which we don't know, but whatever the charge was, Lord, I'm not guilty of that, which they say. I'm not a bigot. 
I'm not judgmental in this matter. I'm not guilty of hate speech. I'm not guilty of abuse. So it's a particular charge or charges that he's answering. And the way he begins, he says, Lord, judge me. See his language here in the first few verses. And that what David wants God to do, it's a plea for justice. And he wants God to examine him and see, Lord, he's surrounded by many who think he, David, is a fool. He said, now, Lord, you know me. And in this situation, I have not a fool. And you know my heart. And you see the word integrity. That's a key word here. Helps us to sort this out. This comes up in other places in the Psalms because you can read at times you think, well, is David really saying he's perfect? No. There's a difference between perfection and consistency and integrity. Integrity means that I'm innocent in this situation in which you're charging me. The Hebrew word for integrity is the word tom. It means complete. It means it's used like to describe an entire day. It is used in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, when all of, of uh, Jesse's children, except for one, where they say, are they all here? One wasn't, but that's tom, completeness, rounded out, integrity. The idea is to be ethically sound, to be upright. I am not guilty of the charge that's made of it. I am not a bigot. I am not judging you in a sinful way here. So that's what David is saying. And if you bring it into this court, God, you. See, look at his language. He says, examine me, Lord. Try me. Test my mind. Test my heart. And none of us should ever, ever see ourselves as above that kind of plea to God. And I'm saying here that one of the ways in which we can respond as Christians to the assaults and to the slander that's being raised against us, that we're, you know, guilty of hate speech or whatever may be said, is that, Lord, examine my heart. Am I, am I what I ought to be before you on this? Lord, uh, here, let's take it this direction. They're saying that, uh, oh, look what you Christians have already done to marriage. That's one of the arguments that you used. Look what you've done to marriage. Look at all you Christians, how you've looked the other way. Look at these pastors have these affairs. Churches where all this immorality. And, uh, you, and you just look the other way. So, hey, that guy plays third base on the church softball team. We can't do anything about that. Stuff like that. And so David wants the Lord to look at him and examine him. Lord, for us and for you and for me, what's my marriage like? Am I a hypocrite? Am I getting up on my soapbox and I am making statements of, of judgment, which there's a place for it. There's a place to stand up and speak up and stand for truth. But he's saying here, Lord, I got to deal with myself. I got to be careful. If I'm going to go out and I'm going to be effective in the world in which I live, I've got to have integrity. No hypocrisy. No hypocrisy. So how is it in your life? To what degree are you a hypocrite? You, you, can you, you can shine with words, but what about your life? Does it back it up? Not perfect, but so what? That's the point. So there he is. He's saying this, Lord, examine me, test me. You can look at me. Lord, I'm not, I'm not afraid of your scrutiny. Examine me. Search me. 
Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, I'll give you a little warning here. You pray that prayer, watch for some really something really interesting that may come along and will bring up stuff maybe on the inside and say, oh, I didn't know that was there. This is embarrassing. Lord, I need you. I didn't realize that I was carrying that attitude around, that value which is not your value. Oh, so there he is. Now, there's something in verses 4 and 5 which uh, moves this along. And, uh, the next question is, uh, do you, am I dissociated from evil? Look at his language, verse 4. So uh, I don't sit with the deceitful. I don't, I don't go with these people uh, who are evil. I don't sit with them. Um, he doesn't sit with those who are not aligned with God. Here's the next thing we do. What do we do when we're charged with whatever? First of all, we let our heart is open before God and he to judge us so that we have, we're not guilty of hypocrisy. But now he's saying, I need to be sure that I am separated from evil people. I got to watch out who I hang out with. What he's saying is this. I have to be careful that I do not move among certain social circles or keep such intimate, intimate company with certain people that I can be drawn into their values, their goals, their standards. And I like the way C.H. Spurgeon put it. Better to sit on Job's dunghill than on Pharaoh's throne. <laughs> that there is the right place to be and there are those with whom we should have intimate associations and those people will be good for us and not harmful to us. Look at his language here. He describes these people. He describes them as deceitful men. That is, they're not real. They're hollow. They're fake pretenders. They don't, they don't know how to disguise their moral hollowness. Evil doers, they plot evil, execute it. He uses the word wicked. I mean, he stacks up one, two, three, four terms here. The wicked, the, the criminal, those who violate Torah, those who are in opposition to the covenant. So <clears throat> the wise Christian, I think the implication here from what David is saying, the wise Christian is you ought to proceed along in life with your integrity, with your trust in God, you, that should make you be able to spot con artists, people who will pull you into wrong thinking, who will deceive you. And the wise Christian will learn to distinguish between the unreliable and the reliable. Watch out. Uh, I've got something here from a little book by C.S. Lewis where he comments on this. this uh, if you do any work in the Psalms, this is uh, just a jewel of a little volume. It's called Reflections on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. He has a chapter in here called Connivance, and he's responding. I mean, this, this is the, the thought process he goes through with regard to what David is saying here. He said, uh, many people have a very strong desire to meet celebrated or important people, including those with whom they disapprove. But I'm inclined to think a Christian would be wise to avoid where he, he decently can. Any meeting with people who are bullies, lascivious, cruel, 
dishonest, spiteful, and so forth. Not because we're too good for them. In a sense, because we're not good enough. We're not good enough to cope with all the temptations, nor clever enough to cope with all the problems which an evening spent in such society produces. So it's really a humble approach to it. Lord, I just don't know that I need to be there listening to all this. Now, how you worked out in your lives, I mean, we've got young people here in school situations and then adults and then some older people, you just, you're not in office situations and work situations, but you work it out in your own life, what you listen to, what you read. I mean, this can come from a lot of sources. It doesn't have to come from immediate company, come from television or movies or books and what you read and so forth. But that's, that's what David's concern is here. Now, there's a third movement here. Look in verses 6 through 8. Now, at this point, the question I'm asking, is there a time for affirmation of innocence and love for the Lord? Well, absolutely. But look at his language and where he goes here. He says, all right, I wash my hands in innocence. I go uh, about the altar up Thanksgiving. I love the habitation of thy house. What's David doing here? He is finding... Uh, He's finding joy, comfort, reflection, value, all in his public worship experience, going to the tabernacle, going, well, it would have been the tabernacle in David's day, it didn't come to come to the temple until Solomon's time. But he wanted, the idea is being drawn into that worship experience, the tabernacle with God's people. Of course, you would have gone, there would have been the surrogates, the stand-ins, the priests. David couldn't have gone in as the king and just offered sacrifices. But he would have had the priest who would have done so. But let me tell you, that tabernacle just reeked with, it was like a wordless book. It just, I don't have time to chase and break it down, chase it through, but I can tell you, the, the closest we can get to it is just all that happens when you are in the company of God's people and you're worshiping with God's people, you're praising, you're vocally offering your voice in praise, and there is value in hearing yourself, vocalizing your testimony as to who the Lord is, looking at his loving kindness, which he mentions here, pondering it, God's goodness, who he is, his perfections, he's truthful, he's merciful, he is gracious, he is infinite in his wisdom, and We've got to stay in his presence. This is the value of coming, gathering is God's people. One of the values of it. And this, I think, is what David is saying. That um, uh, dealing with all of this requires, uh, here is, yeah, here. Here's another one from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's very quotable. Let men slander us as they will. Let us not defraud the Lord of his praise. In other words, okay, so you you get it. You get slammed. You get slandered. So go to the Lord. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. It's a word to us. All right. And then uh, I've got to pedal fast and get here to this conclusion down in from uh, in 9 and 10 through 12. The question is this, that will there be dissociation from evil in the final judgment? And here's where David is. He's saying, Lord, you're going to separate us all out. There's going to be the wheat and the tares going to be separated out. And, Lord, because you've kept my foot on level ground and you've kept my feet from slipping, 
thank you, Lord, that I can bring praise and honor to you. And I have distinguished myself as not being in that company of those who are going to find themselves as judged and condemned by you. He's thinking of judgment in 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 a broad term, broad sense. And so, therefore, this disassociation from evil in the future, there is a payoff. And what David really wants in this psalm, I think I can summarize it this, this way, that what David really wants is this. Lord, he's saying, thank you. Thank you, Father, because living life and exemplifying the moral patterns which you have put in place by which I am to live, you and I are to live, that you know what that does? And this is the best answer to those who want to slander Christianity. Look at the product. Look at the product. What are our lives like? Are our lives exemplary? And people say, well, you know, after all said and done, you know, they are, they're good people. They're kind. They're generous. They're compassionate. They don't get in trouble with the law. They've got good marriages. They teach their children. They're respectful. They're trustworthy in the workplace. Wow. Let me, you a Christian? Well, I'm looking for people like you. I can trust you with the, I can trust you with the money. Uh, and you just go on down the line. So what David is saying, this is really the best answer. Is that the integrity that we have in life and the trust in the Lord, the value and the genuineness of our lives speak volumes and will therefore throw into contrast sin. Because the seeds of destruction are bound up in sin. It will fall. Folks, Don't be panicked. Don't be panicked by this new era we're told we're in that, ah, history, you're on on the wrong side of history and that you can redefine marriage and you're behind the times and you're just discriminating people uh, in the bad sense. And you know what's going to be true in the long run is what God has said is true and right. And that will hold. So be patient. Don't panic. Live your life with that sterling quality of consistency. And let people see in you the kind of thing that people are drawn to you. Because you are just, whoa, I'd like to be with those people. You can say what you want to about them, but I will tell you what, that's a soft place to land, that church. (laughs) That's a soft place to land. Those people care for you. They love you. They'll help you. They'll do what they can for you. And, you know, they practice what they preach. They live it out. All right, um, let's, let's park it right there. I just want you to see that David was, he had to deal with slander. We do. So I think that's important unless we think we've got to get our boxing gloves on and go, and go for TKOs. 